Well, welcome everyone to the Robin Walter Show here at Red Sky Radio. Got a packed program today, as we always do. It's your lucky day. We are going to have a definitive program on the Second Amendment. Definitive. And I mean this. I mean, it's constitutional. It's biblical. It's practical. It's all of those things. A whole program is devoted to it. Uh, motivated by the IRS raid on the gun store in Montana. I'm actually recording this the day after that happened. Uh, So I'm a little bit ahead of schedule because I'm going to be traveling next week and not available to do a program right at the moment. So I'm recording ahead a little bit. So excuse me for that, but uh, this is pretty timely, as far as I can tell anyway. Time to know the details of where we are and what we should know what we should be believing, what we should be practicing. So without any further ado, we are just going to get rolling. I'm cutting out all the other stuff here so so I can make sure I get everything in. i got 56 minutes to give you everything on this topic. This will be a tutorial. I would love to have you pass this program on if you're getting it via blast email. If you're getting it on a podcast, tell others about it. Because uh, this program is going to answer a lot of questions, and it's also going to refute uh, sort of the lame and maim we have in the pulpits of America on this particular issue. So we're going to cover the constitutional basis first, a practical application uh, with a couple of recent stories, not including the issue actually in in, uh, Montana, because... Well, you've heard it. If you've heard it on Newsmax, it's all over the media, but maybe that's the only place it is. And then, of course, the biblical, which is the most important. But we're going to start with the Constitution. And the Second Amendment says this. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. Just going to pause there for effect. A free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So a couple of things to point out here. First of all, the if you if you put this in the context of when the Second Amendment was drafted, what the colonies had just been through, what their natural rights were, what the natural law was, this amendment actually does not address personal defense, which has been pretty much the sum total, I don't know, maybe 100% of the gun cases in the last 25 years, uh, certainly the ones that reached the Supreme Court. It actually doesn't address that. It's actually not covered in that. Now, some will say, well, therefore, they can restrict the rights. No. The reason it was stated the way it was is because the colonists, are the, the natural law simply presupposed the right to defend oneself. You didn't have to spell it out. It was automatic. 
They probably thought, how could anybody ever think that you wouldn't have the right to defend yourself, your spouse, your kids, your property? Who would ever think that? And it certainly had nothing to do with hunting, which is what the left thinks that it's limited to. I mean, hunting is how you got your food in the 18th century. I mean, meat, anyway, it was not mostly cows and, you know, goats and so forth. They went out hunting, they got deer and whatever else, elk, the things that were abundant at that point in time. That was their sustenance. You didn't have to have a right to go procure food, and you didn't have to have an enamored right to defend yourself. But what was their experience? Their experience is having to, to quarter officers and, and military of the British Army. They had all the grievances of a foreign power being imposed upon them. Twenty-seven of them, Thomas Jefferson listed in the Declaration of Independence. That was their world. And when they drafted this, they said, no way can we allow for a replication of what England has done to America for a federal American government to do to its states. Therefore, that is why it reads, being necessary to the security of a free state. A free state. There was a degree of autonomy among the states. I mean, I'm not planning to run for governor of Arizona, but if I did, and for perchance I actually won, it would be time to simply designate a militia in the state of Arizona, let's say 500,000 able-bodied men and women who take an oath, properly trained, know how to use their firearm. Bingo! Now you have what is necessary to the security of a free state so that crapola that happened in Montana never happens again. Never. So the right of the people, so who are the people? Well, those are the ones that make up the militia, just like the militia would be made up. People, say, The left said, well, that's the National Guard. We don't have any. No, the National Guard was never the militia. The militia was simply able-bodied men at the time, but it would be able-bodied men and women, able to properly fire a firearm, train with it, clean it, safely use it to defend the state. It was your part-time army, so to speak, if necessary. Otherwise, all these people got real jobs. They don't have government jobs like the IRS does, like the FBI does, like the DOJ, and now the Environmental Protection Agency, which has got arms. So it's the right of the people. It is you and it is I. And guess what it says else? To keep and bear arms. Well, let me ask you. Since the left always said, well, you can have your guns. you got to keep them locked up. This is a bunch of crap. Well, that's the keeping. What's the bearing part of the arms? It means you carry it around. It's constitutional carry. It's one of those many states, if we lost in Arizona, I move. I move to it. I'm not going to sit defenseless, ever. To keep and bear. The way the left reads this is the right of the people to keep and to keep. 
arms shall not be infringed. To keep and bear, the two separate verbs left. You know what we should have? We actually should have a constitutional test that every candidate running for a national office, Senate and House of Representatives and President, has to pass on the Constitution before they're eligible to run for office. I am fine with a test that clears out the dummies, the ignorami. Get them out. They don't, they don't know it, which is all the left and a whole lot of law students these days that don't know it. But that's a constitutional background for this statute or for this uh, amendment to the Constitution. Now, I want to move over to, I'm calling it the practical side, but just some modern-day considerations. I want to start with the city of Chicago, which is, averages, whatever, 50 shootings a weekend, mostly blacks knocking off other blacks. Barack Obama never talked about that. And that was his own territory. He couldn't have given a rip about it, the black community, until he needed them to help get elected and handed out free cell phones to do it. So the left has always said, are we got to, we just reasonable gun control, reasonable gun control. Well, reasonable gun control gets enacted that doesn't cut down on anything, and they come back with this way, just common sense gun control. More is passed. We need more common sense gun, gun control. It's just more and more and more. And it doesn't accomplish anything. So they thought, well, let's get rid of, uh, you know, the machine gun. Let's go back about 70 or 80 years, days of Al Capone. You can still get them. You have to pay an arm and a leg. Got to pledge your firstborn child to pay the fees and the tra- and, and it's so regulated. So in getting rid of machine guns, what happens uh, a week and a half ago? Men with a bunch of machine guns open fire in gun-controlled Chicago. Which proves the point that it never is or has been about the gun. It's the, it is the idiot or the evil person, mostly, who's got one somehow. And why are, do we have more and more shootings and more and more killings? We've got more young people on psychotropic drugs and we have a culture of violence. The Democrat Party is a death cult, an absolute death cult. They like mass shootings because they think that it accelerates the process towards gun confiscation. And they may be right. But interestingly, as a counter to this, there's a growing proportion of Americans whose first reaction to a mass shooting is that more people need to carry guns. So in an odd sort of way, the left, as they continue to push this narrative, the guns, got all these shootings, they got to do something about it. I'll tell you, it's getting more people to go out and buy guns. I think, what, 40 million Americans have guns now? And that's only half the number we need. The statistics are that 35% of the people react to a mass shooting by thinking that they need to get and carry guns. Even leftists, even Democrats, thinking, gosh, you know what, I don't know what, i gotta, I got to do something. Maybe I get a gun here, but I don't know how to use it. I'm scared to use it. I mean, the thing petrifies me. I mean, blah, 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 bl
when about one hour of decent training would lead them on the path to understanding the gun, how to use it safely, legally, how to clean it, what to do, what not to do, and with it, confidence grows in the application of this tool. That's all it is, is a tool. Well, interesting thing about the 35% number of people that think that we need more guns, four years ago, that number was 25%. So think of all the mass shootings in the last four years. The number of people who now think that we need to get more guns has gone from 25 to 35%. Sorry, Democrats, stupid as you are, it's backfiring on you. And this should not be a shock. I got three stories to cover before we launch fully into the biblical application. Nine in ten Democrats, 90% of all Democrats are willing to throw away the Second Amendment if it make them feel safer. They, in, in an effort to what they think will be reigning in gun violence, they're ready to toss gun rights out the out the window. Well, obviously, we know by the story I just gave you, there's not a gun-controlled city more than Chicago, and all they do is go up and crime, murder, murder, murder. And why? You've got people who are criminals, and guess what? Do really criminals care about whether they have a gun legal or not? Of course not. That's why they're called criminals. And the more guns the criminals have or they're freer they are to use them, why are they freer to use them? Because they know that more and more law-abiding citizens, residents of Chicago, are unarmed. The greater the probability they're going to go into a house and there's nobody there to toast them with a forty-five semi-auto. Which, biblically speaking, uh, at night is free to do. And we'll get to that Bible verse in a bit. But 9 and 10, 90%, and Democrats are the majority party, and 90% of them want to get rid of gun rights. Do you see why I have pushed ad nauseum year after year after year to prepare for certain states, 17 in number, to get out of the U.S., form their own country, where these rights are restated in a way by which they are bulletproof from whack job Judges and politicians. It's just the way it is. I don't see that part getting better. Number three. This is, I hate to use the word, but this is the transition from the practical, observational, contemporaneous to the biblical. I want to start, I want to start, I got one story about it here. Start and finish with former Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill, uh, a, a real airhead, uh, of, course, of course she's a Democrat, from uh, Missouri. So a few weeks ago, actually about a month ago, there was a shooting at the Allen Premium Outlets in Allen, Texas. Suburb of da Dallas, eight people were shot dead. And seven others were taken to hospitals. And uh, people stopped the shooter, um, which who they called a white supremacist extremist 
Or here's you want the name for the white supremacist extremist, Mauricio Garcia, age 33, who expressed extremist and anti-Semitic views. Now let me go on and just say I want to double back here because I'm getting ahead of myself. I would just want to say this. Anti-Semitism has no place anywhere in the world. But I want to say the last place for anti-Semitism is in the halls of Congress, in our Senate, our House. Every single, without exception, no exceptions, every single Jew hater in Congress is a Democrat. And yet most Jews vote Democrat. I don't know. I don't get it. But that's a fact. All the Jew haters in Congress are Democrats. So McCaskill comes out and says, I will tell you this. I believe very firmly that Jesus would be shocked at what our country is allowing to happen. There is no way that he would embrace everyone walking around with weapons of war. Now, interestingly, um, I think that this Mauricio Garcia was using handguns. This is not a weapon of war, Claire. But what would the heck would you know about weapons or war or uh, common sense for that matter? She's that ignorant. But she says, now, you know, I mean, the, this is a fair question. It sounds like I'm judging her or I'm asking you to judge her. Do you think this woman's a Christian? I would say based on her comments, she is not. And why? She said, because I very firmly believe that Jesus would be shocked at what our country is allowing to happen. Wait a second, Claire. If you're a Christian, Jesus is alive. News shock. I'm sorry. But if you've got Christ in your heart, you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can only do that if he's alive. He's not dead. So if he's, if he's alive, he wouldn't be shocked. He is shocked. He's either shocked or he isn't shocked. But she treats him like he's dead. If he came back, would, would he be shocked at what is going on in our country? What's being allowed to happen? Well, what do you think Jesus was doing when this happened? Do you think he went to the refrigerator for a grilled cheese or a ham sandwich? Well, probably not. If he's Jewish, maybe not. But my point being, how can you even be Christian if you think that Jesus has no presence here and he would be shocked if he were here? He either knows what's going on here or he doesn't. And he knows and he isn't shocked. Do you really think, Claire, you can shock God? Well, maybe you just did, Claire. There's no way that Jesus would embrace everyone walking around with weapons of war. This is a woman who does not know jack squat crap diddly about what a weapon of war is. Doesn't These are the people who don't know the difference between an automatic and a semi-automatic. Why is it that the left likes to talk about semi-automatics as though they're automatics? They don't know what they are. Do you know the AR-15, which is not an automatic, it's an AR, it's, the AR-15 is a semi-automatic. Do you know when that gun came out? That gun was available to the public 
1965. That's right. What, 58 years ago. So if this gun is so bad, why haven't we had a rampage of gun crime and mass shootings with this dastardly evil assault weapon for the first 45 years of its 58-year existence? It's because the gun is not the problem. It's the person holding it. The person that's got his finger on the trigger. The person that's high, who's screwed up on psychotropic drugs or has been raised in a government school and all he's ever learned is about death. Abort the kids in the womb. Abort the kids at the birthing stool. In some states like California and Virginia, abort them for 30 days after they're born. Let's mess with the kids in school and push this tranny crap on them. Let's ruin their minds. Let's sexually and mentally molest them so that they're committing suicide at an alarming rate, a ridiculous amount of rate rate of suicide based on the lockdown, which is all about Democrat control for COVID. All the Democrats know is death in its various forms. You think Now you know why I think that they're basically demon-possessed. So Satan says, you know, he came to steal, says of Satan, came to steal, kill, and destroy. Pretty much sums up the Democrat Party to me. So she's demanding because she's speaking for Jesus now, more activism for gun control laws in the United States. And with that, now we're going to move on to what Jesus really said. Why Jesus would, is an active, is, not would be, is a supporter of the Second Amendment. I will tell you, and I don't, it's anecdotal, but I know it's true. There are far more Christians that believe that the Second Amendment is legitimate and a sacred right of self-defense for self-family and property than those who don't believe in Jesus. I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, I run into Christians who are scared of guns, never shot one, don't want one, which is a big, huge mistake, which we'll get to in a minute. But the ones who are anti-gun are pretty much, for the greater part, not exclusively by the freedom of are also anti-God, bibliophobic, Christophobic, truthophobic, commonsensophobic. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? So the right of self-defense. What does the Bible have to do with the right of self-defense? Well, I want to I want to take a little excerpt, and I've got hundreds I could do, but this one is particularly meaningful because it it covers several points that I want to make all in one story. The date July twenty fifth, nineteen ninety three, place Cape Town, South Africa. Cold, rainy night in July. Keep in mind their seasons are flipped. And a man by the name of Charles Van Wick, who wrote a book about this incident called Shooting Back. You ought to read it. He regularly attends this church, and he never would take his gun to church, but this one particular night, 
for reasons you could read in the book, he can't really explain other than it must be a prompting of God. He decides to take his gun to church. I want to say it's a 38 revolver, I believe. But I'm not, I'm not totally sure on that, but I'm pretty sure it's a revolver. So you got a limited number of shots, five or six. And unlike other times, for some reason, he decides to sit in the back pew. He doesn't know why. And as the service gets rolling, a bunch of communist South African thugs burst into the back of the church and start firing away. They kill 11. They injure 53. And Charles, back behind that back pew, gets out and with a 38 from about, I don't know what it is. I don't remember exactly. 60 feet, 70 feet. Let me tell you. With a revolver at 70 feet, you aren't hitting anything. Well, you might. But you might, ju you might just as easily shoot the light out in the church as one of them. He got back there and he fired. And there were a bunch of these thugs. And he winged one of them in the shoulder. In the shoulder. Knowing that they got shot, they all fled. The massacre stopped. These half a dozen cowards go running out the back door with their guns. And why? They've killed 11. They've injured 53. One of them gets winged in the shoulder or in the arm somewhere. And these little scaredy cats run off. One person with one gun in the place at the right time who helped keep the numbers, instead of 11 dead and 53 injured, probably kept it from being 53 dead and 11 injured. And then that loser, Desmond Tutu, critical of Van Wyck, just a couple days later in the paper, he excoriates him for bringing a gun into church, quoting Romans 12, 18, saying, as the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Desi, baby, he's, he's toast now. He's gone. I want to tell you something. Vengeance is not the same as self-defense. You got that? Vengeance is when... Vengeance is a, somebody steals your kid's... Your 12-year-old kid's bicycle and he's riding down the street. And you get out a gun and you shoot him in the derriere. You don't have the right to do that. You're going to end up in jail, and that is vengeance. That is taking the law into your own hands to avenge and provide retribution to the or dispense retribution to the party who's committed the crime. But there are things that have to be lined up. You have, you you can't. Vengeance is what God does because that's left, and He has delegated that to a court. But that's not self-defense. Self-defense is somebody trying to kill you or bodily injure you bodily very seriously, and it's an imminent, incredible threat, and you blow them away. That's not vengeance, Desmond. That is self-defense. A huge, enormous difference, which obviously escaped you. I don't want to bore you with a bunch of facts, but there is one fact, no gun law, has ever disarmed a criminal. Really hasn't. I mean, uh, I mean, the reason is obvious. Guns don't commit crimes. 
People do. People do. All right, Bible verse. Jesus said that murder is what? Pulling out a 357 Magnum and dropping somebody? No. Murder is hating your brother with your heart, and that is where the crime of murder is committed. Pulling out something and finishing them off with a spear, a sword, or a gun is just a consummation of the murder. Jesus said murder is in your heart. So what does that tell you? Is the gun the killer? Jesus would say no. The individual is the killer because it's in his heart to kill. That is the murderer. The gun is merely the tool. Whether it's a gun, whether it's a hammer, whether it's a machete, whether it's the fist, whether it's a baseball bat. The ways by which you can kill somebody are innumerable. But the murder is in their heart. So this idea to ban assault weapons. What is the definition of assault weapon? definition of assault weapon is any weapon that's used in an assault. Any weapon used in an assault. And we are going to have to pick up from there when we come back. 56 minutes of a complete biblical dissection of everything to do with self-defense. Robin Walter, we'll be right back. Don't go away. The Robin Walter Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to... Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. We are back. This is Robin Walter with the Red Sky Radio and the Robin Walter Show. We uh, were talking just before the break about the definition of an assault weapon. What is that definition? Definition of an assault weapon, which interestingly, the head of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, three weeks ago, when asked in a congressional investigation and testimony, could not define an assault weapon. But let's get rid of them. But he can't define it. It's any weapon that's used in an assault. So the question I've asked this rhetorically before, why is it that Joey Cornpop Biden and Cammy No Brains Harris and all the other mucky mucks have their bodyguards, many of them with semi-automatic rifles, which would be deemed assault weapons if they weren't guarding the precious little Democrat elites. 
Let me ask you, why is it a, they'll say, well, it's for defense. Well, why is it for you Democrat elites? Why is it a defense weapon in your hands? But in the hands of a conservative or your common Joe, like I am, the people of this country, why is it categorically an assault weapon? I can prove this. Go into a hardware store. Tell them that you want an assault knife. Better yet, ask them for an assault hammer. You know, you're not you don't want to you're not the, you don't want to pound nails. You want to pound somebody's brains out. And why? Because the murder has occurred in your heart. And those people would want us to be disarmed so that the left wants us disarmed so that they're the only ones that have guns. Keep in mind that the human toll of gun violence, over 90% of the human toll of gun violence, has been committed by left-wing communazi governments against their own citizens. They're the ones. They're the ones that have the assault weapons. We actually are the ones that have the defense weapons, if, you, if I can say that. But the left would have you believe that, that an assault weapon, however they define it, oh, it's made by, it's got this, it's really mean looking, and it's got these uh, blah, 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 these plastic grips and it, um, special stock, and it just looks like something we saw Arnold Schwarzenegger carry around in Terminator 2 or something. Probably did. But the left would have you believe that this gun is so nefarious, such an evil, that if it were just sitting on your dining room table and you walked through your dining room, the gun would whisper in your ear, pick me up and shoot somebody. That's what the left would have you believe, that the evil is in the gun, not in the people. That's why they cry. And this is how stupid they are. They yell out, it's your stupid guns. Guns don't have brains. Don't, guns don't have a mind. They don't have a conscience. They don't have a soul. They're an inanimate object. They're a tool. There's no way you could have a stupid hammer or a stupid car or a stupid bicycle or a stupid gun. You can have stupid Democrats. You see, what the left would have you to believe is that the, that the Second Amendment would read this way. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of each citizen to belong to Ducks Unlimited shall not be infringed. They think it just applies to hunting. Well, the wisdom of our founding fathers forged from Scripture and from experience taught them that to be free, you need to be able to defend yourself both personally which was the natural right, didn't have to be in the Constitution, and also against the tyrannies of standing armies and unbridled police force, which does need to be in the Constitution, which is why we had the prohibition against unreasonable searches and seizures like the IRS just committed in uh, Montana. So another little question here. This is a little tricky question. What would be your definition of genocide? And I'm going to make this very simple. Genocide is when there's a conflict and only one side 
is armed. When both sides are armed, it's called a war. And if you look in scriptures, I mean, you consider, I mean, so much of this is the fault of a lousy, lame, gutless, feckless, eunuch preachers that don't have the cojones to say what needs to be said about this area, but just think it's all peace and love. Turn the other cheek. We're going to blow those presumptions out of the water, no pun intended, in a minute. But I want to start with Nehemiah 4, which is 14 and 15. And Nehemiah, they were being surrounded by people that hated him. They're trying to build a wall. And Nehemiah says, look, you build the wall with one hand. With one hand, you lay bricks. The other one, you have an arms. Why? To attack? No, of course not. For self-defense. If you're going to attack, you wouldn't be laying bricks with one of your arms. Exodus 22.2 If a thief breaks in at night... You can kill him. And there is no accountability for the blood of that thief. Because you just have to assume that the thief is going to do what is necessary. And you don't know. You can make an assumption that the the thief is going to eliminate the witness to the crime. You. Now, during the day, the word doesn't say that. Then the blood could be on you. So if it's during the day, you... You find out it's your 12-year-old next door is broken in to try to steal your boombox or something because he thinks you're not there. That's a totally different story because now you can assess the situation. It's why so many women are leaving the Methodists in the PCUSA church. They have come out against gun ownership and have actually told in the Methodist church to that their women, if they're being raped and you have a gun, do not use it. Do not use it on the rapist. Just get raped. And I don't know. Enjoy it. I don't know what their implication is. And you know how stupid this is? When a woman gets raped, and it's raped in a private situation, which is 99.9% of the time, there is only one person that can identify the rapist. The victim. And what do you think How many times have you read somebody was raped and killed? That's because the rapist needs to get rid of the only person that could put that monster in prison. Uh, Okay. In the garden. Let's jump to the garden. Luke 26, verses 52 and 53. We got some passages we need to deal with here. And this starts with... Uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples are there. Peter's got his sword, hot to trot, lops off the ear of Malthus, the uh, high priest's servant. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. You think, thinkest thou that I can't now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then, how then shall the scripture be fulfilled that this must happen? You see, Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, put it away. You're getting in the way of me going to the cross. That's clear. He says, so how, the, how will the scripture be fulfilled if you, if you try to save me here? I didn't come down 
from heaven to save myself. I came down from heaven to save you. And that means me, that means I, as a innocent person, sinless, being offered up as a spotless lamb, and I must go this way. This is what has to happen. And he said, put away your sword. He didn't say, they've been traveling for three years together. He didn't say, Peter, where the heck did you get that sword? How long have you been carrying that thing around? Some people will say that Jesus was just trying to tell, tell them to put it away, uh, but because those who perish by the sword, or those who take the sword shall perish with the sword. What Jesus is saying there is, if you use a sword, if you use a gun, if you use a knife, whatever, to settle all your disputes, that's how you live. You're a thief. You're a robber. The fact is, someday you're going to get shot. It's over. You, you, got, a, you got an elevator down. You don't, if you're going to live that way, you're going to die that way. That's even true with, with a lot of soldiers. The more battles they're in using the guns, the greater the probability that they'll die by a gun. But this is directed to those who are, who are if you're going to try to solve every dispute by lopping off somebody's ear and coming out with arms, then guess what? You're going to get taken out. And that's true. That's an absolute truth. You can't live that way and expect to die another way. But listen to this little word that's only in the King James. This is why it is the preferred translation. Sorry, you NIV guys. But Jesus says, put up again, note that word, again, thy sword into its place, into his place. Some people just saying, well, that's just underscoring putting it away, putting it back in its place. Well, why is he saying it again? Now, Peter was a bit tempestuous. He was a little bit reactionary. He could, uh, you know, shoot, shoot from the hip. No pun intended either there. But the fact is, he was a little reactionary. We know that from other passages. What Jesus seems to be saying here is he's telling them again to put the sword away. You can't say again means to put the sword in its place. Otherwise, this passage would read, put it up into its place, the sword into its place. That's a redundancy. Jesus is telling Peter a, at least a second time, put the thing away. This isn't the place for it. He carried it. Jesus didn't prevent him from carrying it, didn't scold him for carrying it, just saying now is not the time. And people who take that verse and just absolutely wrench it from its real meaning uh, really, really kind of bothers me. But, uh, okay, so let's turn to the uh, turn the other cheek passage. Turning the other cheek involves um, if somebody slaps you, somebody insults you, somebody treats you badly, they defame you, they slander you, they libel you, maybe they do push you around, maybe they insult you in public. Just put up with it. That's a slap on a cheek. We're not talking about somebody pulling out a double-edged sword and taking you off at the knees with it. Somebody who's trying to kill your son, your daughter, rape your daughter, kill your son, your wife. Who knows? It's not talking about that at all. Which leads me to my next point. If for some reason you still are hanging on to that sort of distorted, actually semi-perverted interpretation of that passage, let me ask you this question. 
How do you turn somebody else's cheek? How do you turn your daughter's cheek, the 14-year-old that these three guys are planning to rape and you don't have any way to defend her? Or the son who, uh, for whatever the reason they hate, you, do, you can't defend them. Even if you have that distorted view of turning your own cheek, you don't have the right to turn other people's cheeks to whom you have a godly obligation. You don't have the right to surrender your child's life. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.8 says that he who does not provide for his own is worse than an infidel. So, okay, so if not providing food and shelter renders one an infidel, how could not protecting your family from death or seriously serious injury, how could that be permitted? I mean, failing to, failing to provide for your children's and family's health and safety and lives seems to be the highest form of infidelity. Worse than not providing shoes or clothing or a warm room and bed. Okay, let's turn to Luke 22, 36. Jesus had previously said that, I told you once before, uh, previously, you know, to not take any script, to not take any money, to leave your purse behind, the sword. The sword. You don't have to take those things. You're going to be protected. You'll be provided for. But now, time has passed on. But now I do say unto you to take the money, the purse, have that with you, and a sword. If, in fact, if you don't have a cloak, I'm sorry, if you have a cloak, sell your cloak and buy a sword if you don't have one. Now the naysayers in the pulpit would say, well, Jesus was speaking metaphorically about the sword of the Spirit. Well, he can't be speaking metaphorically about the sword of the Spirit, but be speaking literally about the script and the purse. You can't go, script, oh, that's for real. A purse, oh, that's for real. Sword, oh, that's metaphorical. Oh, no, we got to change the meaning here because uh, it's messing with my theology. That's not, that's, you can't do that. And the real test would be, well, since that whole thing about the sword of the Spirit doesn't come along for decades later in Paul's writings. How many of the disciples understood it to be metaphorical? Zero. The churches that try to make the word sword a metaphor, you can't do that. Because there is no metaphor for the cloak that you're selling, right? If you're buying the sword of the Spirit, what's the metaphor for the And that's a metaphor. What's the, what's the cloak that you're selling in addition to the metaphor for the script and the purse? Can't do it. The context is obvious that it's literal because it ends with one of the disciples, certainly not taking it metaphorically, he said, here, there are, here are two swords. And what's Jesus say? That's enough. If it was metaphorical, What's he talking about? Oh, that's enough. What, a double portion of the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. The, the disciples did not take it that way. Two swords are enough. Why? You got two hands. You cannot defend yourself with any more swords than two 
because you got two hands and two arms. Oh, boy. So we're not obligated to be armed, but there's nothing wrong with being armed. And I need to, I, I need to speed this up to finish in time, on time. But look at, write this down, First Samuel chapter 13. This is interesting because Israel was under control of the Philistines. Now consider the Philistines were the government. The Philistines were in charge. The Philistines were the bureaucrats, the administrative, the deep state. Israel were their, basically their subjects. And guess what? There are no arms in Israel except for the sword of Saul. And I think the sword of Goliath. I think there is that one, David's sword. There are only two in Israel. Why? Because the government had taken control of the means of production of arms, the means of maintenance of arms. They had to go to the Philistines to get their 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 axe sharpened, their spears, their mattock, and their swords sharpened. The government controlled all the means by which the arms could be used. Think that one over. This is why the past is prologue. You're missing a lot if you don't study the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is frankly new every day. It really is. I mean, the application is, is incredible, incredible. So this was a defense against tyrants. Now, this is something, this will blow you away. When, when Joash, as a seven-year-old, was removed from the reach of Athaliah, his grandmother, who slaughtered all of her grandchildren, except for one, he was hidden. And Jehoiada the priest said, we got to get uh, Joash here uh, proclaimed king at seven years old. So uh, what does he do? He goes to the priests, the priests. You could dub in pastors if you like. He goes to the priests and tells them they need to be armed and protect them and to cut down anybody that gets in the way of proclaiming Joash to be king. And you want a little double exclamation mark on this piece about the priests, the pastors, all being armed with an order to kill if necessary? Where were all the weapons of war, if you will, Claire McCaskill? Where were the weapons of war kept? In the church. They were kept in the temple. That's where the weapons were kept for the priests, for the pastors, to administer justice. Well, i got to get to one other passage here coming out of Second Samuel. Second Samuel 23. This is interesting. Uh, verse 6, it says, the sons of Belial, these are bad guys, the really bad guys, shall be all of them there as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. Now, I want that to soak in for a minute. These people are bad. They're like thorns. You can't grab them with your hands. 
In other words, these people are so bad, you're not going to arm wrestle them. You're not going to get in fisticuffs. You're not going to get them in a half Nelson and bring them to justice. No, that's not what Scripture says. The next verse says, but, or instead, the man that shall be armed must be, or I'm sorry, the man that shall touch them must be armed with iron and the staff of a spear. That is what's necessary, arms, to deal with ungodly criminals, evil people of the nature of Belial. You're not going to get there with fists. You need arms. You need metal. You need spears. Or today, to deal with evil people, you may well need... So three robbers break in your house. You're going to beat them up with your fist? You're going to say, okay, close your eyes, count to ten while I go get my brass knuckles. No. If you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an infidel. And if you don't provide for the safety and health of your children and your spouse, you are actually the worst of infidels, the worst infidelity and I think that's the right word that could be imagined. So, where are we? You know, the government disarms its citizens because it wants them disarmed. The left loves mass murders because they think that it, it accelerates their uh, destination of nirvana being all of the conservatives, Christians are disarmed and that way, we only we, the police, the DOJ or DO Department of Injustice, the IRS, the FBI, Environmental Protection Agency, we got all the guns, and you don't. And I just want to remind you that over 90% of all civilian slaughters, all civilian deaths in, in known history, have been as a result of left-wing governments. Tyrannical, dictatorial, God-hating, bibliophobic, Christophobic, truthophobic, common-sensophobic people in power today represented by the Democrat Party. It is so blatant. It is so obvious. It's difficult to imagine how this ends well. I just don't think, I don't see how it can. And one of the reasons I push for secession is done properly, and the, but the left won't let the good states go because we actually pay our taxes in the good states and we produce food. We're not on, on all sorts of government dole and handouts and panic, uh, COVID pandemic extensions. No, we actually produce so they need us, they won't let us go. So if somebody attacks, it won't be the right rising up. That's not biblical. That's not really, that is not constitutionally correct to take on the federal government, but the federal government may take on those that leave. But leaving doesn't have to be violent. It can be very peaceful. And if the left attacks, the left attacks. But you, having a knowledge of what a gun is for, how it's used, how to clean it, how to legally and properly use it, you can defend your family, yourself, your goods, your property. And in so doing, you're actually fulfilling Jesus' command to sell your cloak and take a sword. God bless you all. 
Remember, sit tall in the saddle, America. We ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ. See you next week.